Real, a podcast about real people for real people. I wanted to create a space where I share my true feelings and those of my guests about what it's like to live in today's world. The challenges we face and how we deal with them, or don't. What about all that stuff that's just not said but should be? You know, the conversations that we really want to have but don't. What do we really think and feel? What about our regrets, the dreams that we have and the stuff we should be doing but we don't? Each week, I'll be here talking to real people about real life. This is a very honest look at life and hopefully, by listening, it will help you to have a better understanding of yours. How have you grown through your suffering? Suffering leads to transformation. Pain is necessary despite what society tells you that being uncomfortable and feeling vulnerable aren't good and you should push those feelings away, move on and feel positive. What we attach to the pain is important and the key is how you understand and deal with it. Throughout her life, Nell has looked at herself, what vulnerability means and how emotional trauma has surfaced. She suffered a traumatic event when her third child was born and hadn't dealt with it at the time. Two and a half years later, she was hit with PTSD. Anxiety attacks stopped her from working and she was overcome by so many emotions and pain. This was a life-changing moment which required her to truly feel what this event meant. All this taught her was to always look at who she was and who she wanted to be. It's so important to take care of your needs first and learn to love yourself, which sadly, we're just not taught. We talk about aware parenting, her area of expertise, what it means to be present and to catch your feelings and not project them onto your kids. Lael discusses what she fears the most and how she was able to step into the bigness of life and has the courage to be different. The importance of making a difference in the world changing people's lives for the better, and the truth of who we are. She is an inspiring person who has achieved so much and has the grace to acknowledge it. I truly hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. So welcome. quote that I like, without suffering, there's no happiness. Mm. So how have you grown through your suffering? Mm. Such a great question to start with. I, I would agree with that. Well, I, I just think all of life brings us these amazing opportunities to, to grow. And I think I was really blessed that from a really young age, I, I grew up with a mother who had a lot of awareness, a lot of spiritual awareness. And from a really young age, she would always say to us, whatever goes on in your life is an opportunity for you to say, well, what's this about for me? How can I grow from this? What is this showing me about who I am? So I remember thinking those things even when I was like six and seven years of age, when a friend wouldn't talk to me or something happened, I would always have the thought in my head, okay, well, what is this about for me? There's something. So I had this great self-inquiry from a really, really young age, which I think was really thanks to my mum, which was amazing because it really helped me take ownership of my life and my responsibilities. It also is quite lonely because not many 10, 12, 14, 16, even adults get that. And so, you know, as a teenager particularly, I'd be like, okay, so I'm feeling like this and this is what's going on and what is this about? And my friends would be sitting there blankly like, but she's a bitch or she just did this to you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like there's always choice and perception in this. So for me, I always, I think have looked at life through that lens which I see now you know in my 40s has 
been such an amazing gift because it's allowed me to move through adversity quite quickly and I think it's also allowed me to have great insight into humans in seeing it that way particularly for my work so I think there's all those beautiful little nuances that we have growing up just trying to figure out who we are where do we belong you know what am I here for all those kind of things that I think absolutely show us what is possible and what direction we can move in I think probably more recently, about 12 years ago, uh, when my third daughter was born, I had one of those life-changing, pivotal moments where your life takes a completely different direction. So we had a really challenging birth. She wasn't expected to live. She spent like the first four days of her life in a coma. It was one of those really quite devastating, you know, situations where you think, okay, my baby's probably not going to survive. And if she does, they told us she'd probably have severe brain damage. And here we were, you know, in those times where you think you can have a baby it's going to be amazing and then you're in this life-changing situation and I always think that when I reflect back now it was one of those times in my life that absolutely even though I had this foundation of trust and belief and what is this about for me that really started to teach me about who I was and about what vulnerability felt like what trauma felt like it was like a life-changing experience from this beautiful birth that went a bit pear-shaped so from that incredible experience you know we were facing life and death both of us and I think anyone who is ever on the edge of death it absolutely makes you reassess where you are and what's important my beautiful baby girl and I you know we came through that experience and, and physically we both managed to be okay but emotionally there was a lot of trauma there and it probably took about well, two and a half years for me to really allow that trauma to surface. So, and I work a lot with trauma now. And, and as I look back then, I realized exactly what I was doing, which was I was just surviving, getting on with life, having to look after three kids, trying to put this experience behind me. But, you know, the body often has a different story. And when it's ready, it's going to tell you, well, this is actually how we feel about this. So about two and a half years after she was born, I developed really quite full on PTSD where, you know, I went from being a woman who was running big workshops public speaking I was working as a a doula at the time attending births you know looking after my three kids to a point where I just I couldn't function I going to work would cause massive anxiety attacks I had to stop working for a good probably a year and a half I could still look after my kids but that was it I just anybody who asked anything of me I just I couldn't deliver and I realized it was one of those amazing life-changing moments where I was like I have to heal I have to be still I have to feel all the feelings that I don't want to feel here and so I cried a lot and I had to go through the trauma that was still sitting in my body about this big life and death experience and it was hard and it sucked and I hated it and every day I'd be like I want this to be over but I also I think in the back of my head knew there is such a gift in this I know there is a gift in this and you have to do the work to find your way through. So I I did the work. I listened a lot. I got quiet. I learned how to have boundaries. I said no to a lot of people. I gave myself permission to be vulnerable. I went and did a lot of body work. I spoke to people. I cried a lot. I began to process this huge, massive experience. And as I actually look back, you know, I, I realized that that experience also had other little nuances of other little experiences that had happened in my life that I probably hadn't tapped into at the time, but just got on with. I'm a bit of a, okay, let's keep moving. Let's get on with it. Optimistic person. So it gave me the opportunity to really look at my stories, my imprints and how, and who I wanted to be. 
And I feel like it was the absolute making of who I am. I've, I would not change one single thing about that experience. And the, the suffering, and suffering's an interesting word, I, you know, for me it was just the pain, the vulnerability, all the stuff that I felt was the ingredients for transformation. But I just had to be willing to go there and do it. And it was hard and it took me probably... I reckon a good two and a half years until I felt like I could cope with going back and teaching again, going back and doing public speaking, slowly getting back into working again after having to rebuild myself. And more than anything, I look at that as just the greatest gift. It taught me so much about trauma. It's informed so much of my work now that I do in the world. And it taught me about healing. And and I feel like my third um, child was just the greatest gift. Her story, the way she came into the world, everything that happened was you couldn't have planned it better for what it taught me. <laughs> Even though you wouldn't wish it upon anyone, it was the most life-changing, incredible experience. And so I feel like the way I look at it is that pain is necessary and it's beautiful, but it's what we attach to it you know that then dictates where we move and so I think that experience really helped me to understand that whatever comes up in my life I I'm going to be able to meet it and it may be painful it may be sticky but I can feel it and move through it and I think that that profound moment that that huge big experience which has probably been the most defining of my life I just see as I just have complete gratitude for it now which is not easy to say when you're in the middle of it because, Jesus, I was like, get me out of here, anything to get me out of here. In hindsight and looking back, I just see the perfection of it all. That's pretty impressive. So get back to I'm interested in vulnerability. When you said you, you struggled with being vulnerable mm, and then that, yes. and even in the moment when you knew that it was something that you, you still struggled with that. Mm, what, mm. what was it? You'd you mm. just never been vulnerable in your life then? No, or? I'd been vulnerable, but I think like many people... You know, vulnerability until I really had to go through that was was still seen as a bit of a weakness and in the sense of being really vulnerable. So I grew up, and, you know, this is is really fantastic. I see this in, in my family. I grew up with an imprint around women of being really capable, really strong. We can do five things at once. We're pretty fearless. We're really courageous. We jump in. Like, they're the kind of women that are in my family and that's what I was modelled to. And I was like, yes, that's who I am. And that's brilliant and has helped me amazingly. But I also, what wasn't demonstrated to me was slow and softness and vulnerability and not being okay and feeling all those big feelings. So even though I would sometimes ask for help and support, all that kind of stuff, the permission to be fully vulnerable, I don't think really landed in my life until I had that big experience because I think it just wasn't something that I had seen imprinted and probably something I'd fought against. So when I reached that point in in my daughter's journey, It was so massive because I just realised when I looked back at the lineage of the people I'd come from that that wasn't something that we did. And having two daughters, I just went, I want this to be different for them. And how are they going to be able to sit in vulnerability and feelings if I don't? And, And I think that's where I decided I need to do this. And so in, you know, sometimes I think life forces us to feel these big feelings when we don't willingly go there so having such you know there was no other place to be except be vulnerable because I just couldn't function so being pushed into that vulnerability I remember such a defining moment 
actually when I would I'd fight with the vulnerability and I'd fight with the anxiety because I'd be like you should be able to get over this and I would try and rationalize myself out of it our minds are so tricky and I remember one time actually being at a five rhythms dance class and for anyone who's you know into you know alternative culture you know five rhythms dance class spit out there and I was at a five rhythms dance class you know amongst my kind of in my healing like maybe I'll just move my body that will help me and I'll never forget the instructor said something like you know when you're dancing don't abandon parts of your body don't abandon your fingers or your toes or your hands and I was hit like this this bolt of lightning that went oh my god I'm abandoning my feelings I I pretend vulnerability and anxiety doesn't exist but it's a part of me it's it's as a valuable part of me as joy and passion you know it is it is all of me and in that moment instead of trying to run away from anxiety and vulnerability I actually turned towards it and went oh my god welcome you are valuable and you have something to show me and I am so sorry that I have abandoned and ignored you and it was like so much lifted and changed in that moment where I went this is just another part of me and it's not wrong but again realizing we grow up in a culture where you know we're taught that those parts and those feelings are uncomfortable let's just push them away and move into feeling positive and I'm like actually no they have as much to tell us so that I think taught me a lot about leaning into all those feelings and parts of us that we often ignore and how powerful that is in healing in life and you know now even today when I feel vulnerable or I feel scared I go come on take a seat sit down what have you got to tell me I'm, ne- I'm never going to abandon those parts of myself anymore I don't like them and I don't want them to hang around but I don't ever just shy away from them anymore and I think that's what I learned so much from that huge experience of welcoming all feelings which is also again really influences the work I do now in, in parenting in helping parents to welcome their children's feelings because that wasn't what my imprint was but to imprint our children with all feelings are welcome. I love every part of you. Bring me the anger, bring me the sad, bring me the rage, bring me the joy, bring me the magic. And all I will hold all of you with the same love and compassion and empathy. But that's not what our society does at all. But if we did that, then we would be imprinted as humans that says, all of me is welcome, not just the happy bits. And for me, I just think that is... That is what can change our world. I mean, let's just get into changing the world right now. But But for me, I think that is a fundamental big piece of what needs to happen on this planet. And so once you'd accessed and understood what vulnerability means and it's a strength and it gives you courage rather than seeing it as a weakness, Mm -hmm. which is what you're saying society typically pitches out, particularly for men as well. Mm. How did you address that with going back to your family and Mm. saying how they were Mm. did you have conversations with your mother and yeah totally well I think you know amongst all of it my mum you know she's a very wise incredible woman like she's she's been just the most magnificent teacher and I went back to her go mum I've just realized this is what I took on board from where you guys are and she would be like oh yeah for sure like she agreed she was like I gave you rubbish imprints around boundaries and vulnerability like it was we would laugh and have conversations about it I mean she's a very wise woman and she would go oh absolutely you know she would see that and and even now she's like oh Leo you you do so well at holding that you do so well at teaching your daughters that you know we had many conversations around that because she you know she could absolutely see it and she's also done the work to know her own story of where that's come from 
from as well. So they were amazing conversations. Yeah. Not so much with my dad because he just doesn't go anywhere near any of that. And that is okay. You know, I really, I have deep acceptance that people are all doing the best job they know how and he is exactly where he is and that's not a language he speaks and that's okay but with my mum you know she definitely you know we have many many conversations around this and and how you know I had to say every generation we have the opportunity to make changes to create different imprints for our stories moving forward yeah and I feel like for me I drew a bit of a line in the sand and said this is we're not going to do this anymore this is what I want my daughters my son to feel around feelings emotions expression all that kind of stuff so they can't do that unless I do it first and did that manifest in any way in a negative way with your peers did, did you change relationships because people weren't it doesn't I don't mm. sense that from you but did that yeah happen? Uh, not really no I I think I'd by that time created a bit of a tribe of people who runs, you know, who, who understood that as well. So I, I feel like it, a few things shifted. I said no to to more to a few more things. Like I think before I really had that breakdown, I was very much a a yes person. So trying to meet other people's needs before my own. So I did have to learn to have boundaries, better boundaries, and saying no around certain things. I wouldn't say much, lots changed, but occasionally, you know, things would shift. You know, but that was a huge shift as well. Learning to say no and putting my needs first. That's massive, massive. What made you understand that you were more important mm. than mm. other people? It sounds like mm. from what you're telling me that you're a pleaser, a giver. Mm. Mm. And where, so what, how, did, how mm. was that to go, you know what, actually mm. I'm important, very important? You know, the biggest piece of that was that, you know, from, from that huge transition time in my life when I had to really reassess who I was and who I wanted to be, you know, I really looked at all these imprints and stories around boundaries and around pleasing people and where they all came from. So I could really clearly see in my life, you know, what imprints had been there and why I did the things I did. And one of the biggest stories that turned up for me was, which is I'm sure... Well, I know because I work with many parents who say the same thing, is that you know when we're when we're brought up in families where we are our feelings and emotions are shut down when it's not safe to express the scared or the or the fearful or the angry and all that kind of stuff. When when it's not safe to feel those feelings, then what we do is we become good boys and good girls, right? And we really learn that okay, I will get love and connection and attachment, which I need to survive if I am good. So we kind of deny those other parts of ourselves. And then we grow up to become adults who are all about trying to make other people happy, all about sometimes not taking risks. If I do, will people judge me? They might not like me. And that was me. I was such a people pleaser. I would, you know, put other people's needs way before my own. And then, you know, I, I got sick and I had this PTSD where I couldn't cope and just went, there. it is non-negotiable now. I have to take care of me in order to take care of my family. And I think what I realised is so much of my behaviour up until that point, I was waiting for someone to give me permission to take a break, for someone to give me permission to say it's okay to be vulnerable. I was waiting for someone to give me permission to take care of myself because it was not something that I had imprinted in me that was this is just part of what it is to be a conscious human, to take care of yourself. And that was a really hard pattern to shift because my story I told myself is that every time I'd take a break or I'd look after me, my story that would go in my head was, oh, you're being lazy. Because if you're not achieving and you're not doing and you're not helping others, then you're lazy. And I was like, where does that story come from? And that story comes from the, the, you know, the women in my family who, if you're not doing four things all at once, you're lazy. And I was like... 
Well, that's great on some level, but I, that's rubbish. I don't want that. I want to be able to have stillness. I want to know that I'm worthy of taking a break. And, and what that came back to, because that's just a story that I kind of made up around how it is, that I just went, I have to love myself enough to say, what do I need? And put my deep love and connection for myself first so that I could serve my family and serve others. And particularly with raising my kids with aware parenting, you know, this style of parenting, which is all about holding space for feelings and emotions, it's really hard to sit in a space and hold big feelings and emotions if you have got nothing left. If you if your cup is empty and if, especially if no one's holding space for you, it's impossible to do. You know, we just become reactive. And so wanting to raise my kids with as much awareness and consciousness as possible, I learned pretty quickly that if I do not take care of me, nobody's going to win here in this family. So I realised that the priority has to be that I take care of my needs emotionally, whether that's just going for a massage, whether it's talking to somebody, whether it's just sitting and looking out the window for two hours in silence, whatever that looked like for me to fill up my own cup was the most important piece first so that whenever my kids walk through the door, I had enough in my tank to go, hey, how are you? And could hold whatever came at me, whether that was happy and play and connection or whether that was sadness or anger or whatever. And so I realised that this serves not just me, it serves my husband, my family, my kids and then my work. So I learnt pretty quickly, the hard way, because I tried to do it without all that, I just would burn out and go, this doesn't work. And I wasn't able to turn up in the way I am. And so now, you know, 10 years down the track from having those big realisations, my care of myself is non-negotiable. Nothing comes in front of that because I can't do what I'm doing unless I do that. And most of the time these days it just it is silence. I just need to be quiet. I just need not anybody to ask me anything. <laughs> that, that for me is self-care these days. Just being quiet, taking care of my needs, that is actually what's allowed me to, to love being a mum and love my work and all of that because, you know, it's the ultimate act of self-love is to say what do I need to be the best version of me so I can meet you. That's so huge because I totally resonate with what you're saying and I've recently learned to love myself, which I haven't done, and you are mirroring me in terms of how I was. I did have a different reason as to why I was the way mm. that I was. I was a pleaser mm. and I am mm. a pleaser and giver. Mm. I wasn't good enough. Mm. It was my story. Yeah. I wasn't worthy of that. Yes. So yes. therefore, of course, I've got to keep giving and pleasing other people because they're more important than me. Mm-hmm. And I've recently found a way to understand and love myself. Mm. And now I, it mm. changes your whole view of the world yes. and how you see yourself in the world and other people around you and what you do, yes. what I do for myself. Yes. So to hear you talk, is that's like, wow. Yes, my God, that's, yes. And do you, so you, what you've learned, do you teach that to other people about loving yourself? Because yes. to me, I, I want to tell everyone that. Yes, because if totally. you learn that, then it's, mm. you'd want to you'd have that experience in your totally. life, be that way. That's it. Yet it's so funny because it's such a, it sounds like such a simple thing, but it's not because we have to often unpack all the imprints and the baggage that we have around our belief around that, you know, and that requires us looking at the past. And a lot of people don't want to do that because it's painful because a lot of what we uncover is where we didn't get our needs met. And then that brings up lots of other feelings. And, you know, it is a process that we have to journey with and look at. And yeah, that is, that's fundamental part of my work these days with parents is, you know, looking at how do we turn up and be the parent we want to be? And 
for you know often when I say to parents how do you want it to feel in your family how do you want to be as a parent and when they talk about I want it to feel connected and feel easy and my children share everything with me and there's trust and and I want to be able to listen and you know not be reactive and all that kind of stuff I'm like beautiful that that's possible and completely beautiful but in order to often do that we have to firstly unpack how we were raised and the imprints and belief systems we have around so many different things. And we can't be all of that unless we often, well, I don't believe, look at where those parts are that need healing in ourselves so that we can do the healing and then bring that to our kids. And, uh, you know, I run, I run programs where we go through those main kind of major imprints that we have around parenting, around trust, around boundaries and limits, around self-care, around how we hide from our feelings, around tears and anger, how that sits for us. Like we look at all those big things that shape often how we parent and what were the imprints we received in our family around that and how do they turn up now in our life? And it's so evident to see that often by default, what happened to us is what we will end up doing unless we look at it and shift some of those stories and patterns and go, actually, I want this to, to be different now. And I just think it's the biggest gift you can give children. If, if you have children, then the greatest gift you can give them is to do your work and know your, know your story. Because when you have done the work and understand your own story, then you're not going to place it on the, their shoulders to carry forward. Because I don't want it. They're like, I've got my own life to live. I don't need your baggage. And that's when they often push back. And that's where we see behaviour that's really challenging. And that's where we see disconnection. Because our kids are often saying, hey, that's your shit. You need to look at that. You know, and, and they keep pushing until we do the work. And unfortunately, society doesn't really see that. And maybe we just see more disconnection. But that's the toughest thing to do, I think, for me, and I, I'm sure for lots of parents, to not project your own stuff onto your children and see what they're not doing and then go, oh, well, that's me and mm-hmm. I'm, all I'm going to do is act out me onto you. Yes, that's it. I often say to the parents I work with, look, something like a web parenting or, or what I work with is like learning a brand new language. And it's not a language that was fluently spoken at home, right? So it's like if we were going to learn Italian. You know, if you grew up in an Italian-speaking family, you would have the understanding around it. You, you know, there'd be things that you would naturally pick up because that was part of your foundation. And so when we look at that with parenting, particularly conscious parenting, not being reactive, um, speaking with kindness and understanding, holding space for feelings, how we respond to our kids. Again, the language most of us spoke at home was not that, was not that language. And so when we are learning it for the first time it's clunky and it's hard and we make lots of mistakes if you were about to start learning Italian you would have to keep practicing and practicing and practicing and you'd have to surround yourself with other people who speak Italian so you go oh that's how it sounds so that's why we kind of build these communities of parents to say hey there's parents here that also want to parent with this consciousness and awareness and listen to their stories and share your story and so that we begin to become fluent in that language and so then we get better and better and better at it so that it becomes something that we we aren't reactive you know when something does bubble up in us with one of our kids the first thing we do is oh there's something in that for me pause for a minute you know if you can say to your teenager oh something's going on for me I'll come back to you in a few minutes and we take a step away and we go what is happening for me here right now what am I feeling I'm feeling angry feeling powerless I'm feeling resentful who knows right and so whatever pops up we then have the opportunity to go 
all right, there's that feeling. What does that remind me of? Where has that come from? There is something in my story, in my past here, that is bringing that to the surface. And that's where you can actually do the work because then when you lean into doing that piece of the work, then you're uncovering what needs to be healed for you. And the magic about this is that when we do the work and we uncover that for ourselves, often the behaviour that we see in our child changes or just disappears because they go, well done, parent, you got it. <laughs> well done, I don't need to do that anymore. And you just go, God. <laughs> and, you're, and, and you're saying it to me and I totally get you and I totally identify with everything you're saying. And yet there's a, the point you just made there where I go, you have to be so clearly, the, the names in the title, aware, but to be... So able to understand what you're thinking and make that, okay, this is what I'm projecting onto mm. them mm. and to stop and go, okay, mm. that's a real challenge. It is super hard. So I often say to parents, look, especially when you've got toddlers who are raging and the same with teenagers if they're you know, in the middle of all their fire, the first piece is always bring awareness to I'm feeling something. And my general motto is, you know, when we're feeling connected and centred in ourselves, if our children are in the middle of a storm or something's going on and we're able to stay calm and connected, then we go, my job here is just to hold space for my child. But when we have a reaction amongst the storm, then it's about us. So whenever we are feeling that frustration, that powerlessness, that anger, then there's something brewing within us that's asking to be addressed. So firstly, the first step for me is have the awareness to go, oh, I'm flagging, there's something happening for me here because I'm not sitting in that place of calm, anchoredness, being able to look at my kid and go, bring it, what else? What's happening for you? I've got you, right? If we're sitting there starting to talk over the top of them or starting to get really tense in ourselves or we can feel our nervous system starting to, to bubble, then we're like, oof, there's something being triggered in me here. So the first thing is the awareness of it. Yep, there's something going on for me. I really need... I'm just going to take note of it. If you can, step out of the room just for a minute. And I often say to parents, when you are feeling elevated, when you are feeling really there's something going on and you're having trouble regulating yourself, go and wash your hands. Go into the bathroom, put cold water on your hands as a bit of a pattern interrupt to say, I've got some feelings going on here. I've got to just take a few deep breaths. I need to calm down. Now, with some, like, teenagers, you can actually say, I'm going to come back to you in a few minutes. And you take yourself outside and you take some deep breaths where you have maybe a bit more space to do some inquiry into what's going on. There were many times, you know, in the, in the midst of me really learning this stuff, particularly if my teenagers were going through things, and I'd be like, I'm going to pause for a minute. And I'd go out and I'd ring one of my friends. You know, we're parenting. We have something that we call listening partners, which is somebody you can call and just say, can you listen to me for five minutes? And their job is not to offer you advice. It's not to fix anything. It's just to go, here's a safe container for you to dump whatever's going on. And I'd ring my listening partner and go, oh, my God, I'm totally triggered at the moment. And my daughter's doing this and she's saying that. And, and she would just listen. And in the midst of me getting angry and venting, usually what would happen is some stuff would unfold. I remember one time my daughter was right in the middle of something. She was really stuck and she just she just refused to move. You know, sometimes when, when kids are in this, like, nothing's right, nothing's ever going to be good again. <laughs> like, I'm just totally stuck in my stuckness. And I'm sitting there and I'd been listening and listening and listening. And after about half an hour, I'm watching myself get really angry. And I'm like, oh, I just start to get really pissed off. And I said, yeah, I'm going to come back in a minute. And I went outside and I rang my friend. And like, she is sitting there and she just refuses to move. And then the words that came out of my mouth was, doesn't she realize how lucky she is to have a mum sitting on her bed listening to her feelings? And then I just burst into tears and I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> and right in that moment, it was like 13-year-old me was present going, even though my mum was great, she didn't sit on the edge of my bed going, 
tell me all about it, Leo. Where are you? What's happening? It was just a, let's try and brush over it and fix it because we just keep moving fast. And so in that moment, for me as a parent, I'm right back in my 13-year-old self, feeling the grief around not feeling that connection of someone to hold space for me. So I had a really big cry on the phone to my friend and then I felt better and calmer and I went back to my daughter and I just said, honey, you know, just some stuff came up for me. I'm really happy to keep listening. And just like within five minutes, she kind of said one more thing and she's like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do now. And I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) It's like in that moment, she just shifted because she was like, again, well done, mum. You got that piece. Hope that was a benefit. And I was like, wow, this is really quite clever. This whole beautiful parallel cosmic game here. So it is hard and it takes practice. It takes lots and lots and lots of practice of doing it so that again becomes like that that second language where you just go, oh, something's going on for me. I'm, I'm realising that this is about me. And, I, and my job as a parent is to not project that onto my kid. My job is to take that somewhere else safe, to unpack it, to debrief it. So you can do that by journaling. You can call a listening partner. You can take it to your therapist. You can take it to your partner if that feels safe and just go, wow, I'm feeling really heightened here. And when we, we keep practising it, we keep doing it, we get better and better and better and better at doing it that then it becomes really easy to catch and then we we often don't feel reactive anymore. Or even better than that, and this is something I highly advocate, (laughs) is train your kids to call you on it. (laughs) So when our kids were maybe, I don't know, nine or ten, you know, when the oldest was that age, you know, we would say to him, if you see that we're feeling getting out of balance, if we are responding to you with harshness or powering over you or not listening to you, then we give you full permission to call us on it. We give you full permission to say you are not speaking from your heart right now, which let me tell you stops you in your track like nothing else. <laughs> if your kid calls you out on your behaviour and it's true, it makes you go, Oof, there's a big pattern interrupt. And again, this is powerful because we want our children who we want them to trust what their inner voice is saying. We want them to be in tune with themselves to say you are out of balance here, mum, or you're out of balance here, dad, and this doesn't feel good. Because they're humans as well. And even whether they're four or eight or 20, you know, they, their feelings are just as important and they have the capacity to say, I don't feel, I don't like the way you're talking to me. And then it's our job as a parent to go, yes, I need to go do better. Give me a moment. I need to lean into my support to help myself so I can meet you. It's sobering. <laughs> it's, it's not great. It doesn't feel good. But it's powerful because it empowers our children to speak their truth. It empowers them to stand up and say, I do not like how you're talking to me. And it also is such a beautiful mirror for us to go, we have still got work to do. We are all humans within this. And then you have this magnificent opportunity to look at what the story was, come back to your child and repair and say, I'm so sorry. This big story came up for me. Really sorry if I spoke to you in that way. And then we model this beautiful element of repair and connection and, you know, there's so much gold in that as well. So it's big. It's not easy. It's not easy. But it is worth it. My God, it is worth it. And going back to connection and detached, being detached, you talk about connection and I understand the importance of connection. Mm. And yet you talk about as a child how your mother sat on the bed and Mm. didn't give you Mm. or didn't sit on the bed rather, Mm. I should say. Mm. So how did you go from, I don't know, your mother was very detached Mm. or your parents were detached. Mm. My parents Mm. were, so I can Mm. kind of maybe say that's a generational Mm. thing. We're similar age. To 
going to connection is so mm. important. So I wouldn't say they were detached. They they were great with connection, but probably not to the deeper level that maybe I wanted it. So our house was a really safe house. Ours the house. Ours ha- that again. Our house was the one that everyone would come to if they were running away from home. So we we had my mum was a therapist as well. So you know everybody would come to our house. So it was a very very safe house. You know it was there was a lot of respect and you know it was always a safe landing place for people to come. So by all accounts there was connection. There just wasn't those other deeper pieces that that still form stories that we can have. Like you can still have, a v- I had a client just yesterday who she's like, look, my mum was a really great mum, but I, I, she was having trouble understanding why she still had so many deep stories around expressing feelings and emotions. You know, she said, my mum was never abusive. She was never, and I was like, it doesn't have to be like that. It is sometimes just the fact that our feelings are not heard. They are shut down. That causes these imprints to say, this is not safe. It doesn't, we don't have to have anything bad happen to us, but these nuances are stuff that actually can create story. And I, I'd love to be clear that nobody has it perfect. Like there is no perfect parent. There is no perfect childhood. We all are going to have our story regardless of what happens and I think for me I was very blessed where I had a lot of safety growing up emotional safety it probably wasn't to the the deeper parts of what I guess I wanted in order around not having to be a good girl but then I also see how that just served me beautifully to get to where I needed to be to then change a story and pattern which is again what we all have the opportunity to do I I absolutely believe in healing. I believe that everybody has possibility to create how they want to feel and what they want to do moving forward. But we just have to be able to sit in a place to connect into that. Yeah, I agree with that completely. But it's having compassion because as easy as you're talking, Mm. I can go to, I'm not in that place, but have Mm. been, where Mm. there's resentment towards my parents for not giving me exactly what I needed. And they were totally detached. I was very loving, safe. All the things you said, there there was no... yeah. Nothing bad, but yeah. nowhere near. Yes. I think it sounds yes. I think my parents are more detached than yours, yes. but yes. didn't get it at all. Yes, yes. And they may never they may never. Like, you know, here's the thing is that our parents were doing the best job they knew how and probably better than what was done to them. And I really think that each generation, when we have more opportunity to learn, we have more access to education, understanding. We hopefully each generation develop more consciousness to realize that we want to evolve and do it differently. So your parents were probably just the product of the time they were growing up in, you know, and and they probably did a much better job than when how they grew up, you know, and if we go back even three or four generations, the way children were treated was horrific, right? So we have come far, right? We've we've come to a point where we go, yeah, smacking kids and beating them isn't good, right? We're like, okay, that's better. But we still haven't come far enough, I don't believe, to go, we actually need to learn to deal with feelings and emotions and and hold space for that for our kids. So, you know, I I look at part of the healing journey of doing our work is to, to be able to feel a place of forgiveness and compassion for our parents doing the best job they knew how. And that's just a journey that everyone has to take for themselves. You know, I think that's individual. And then I think when we can reach that place of forgiveness and compassion for what our parents did, then we have the opportunity then to go, okay, well, that has given me a lot of gifts on some level and it's also given me stuff that's felt really tricky. And now I have an opportunity to change that for the next generation, for my children, and I'm doing the work, you know, and and part of you doing your work around your parents is just the gift for your kids so that when they then raise their own children they have again even more emotional intelligence connection and understanding than what you had 
And then we're raising a whole other generation of humans that where empathy and compassion and kindness is the default. Not hiding, not repression, not judgment, all those kind of things. But it's a big journey. And I think that the forgiveness and compassion for our parents and their story is, it's a delicate piece that looks different for everyone. What do you fear the most? What do I fear the most? Oh, that's a good question. Mm, Gosh. I think, oh God, I don't even know quite how to answer this. I think what's coming up for me here, I don't, I have a deep trust in life. Like I, I feel very trusting of where life takes me. I think what I fear, I maybe fear not reaching the potential of all I could do. I reckon there's a part of me, I don't know, about two years ago, I really decided to say yes, like this big energetic yes to being big in the world, to taking my work out to the world, to to being a humanitarian, to say, hey, there's a whole other way that we can do life with this kindness and connection and love. And, and I remember feeling terrified about saying yes for two levels. One, what is that going to mean if you, you actually step into who you could really be and the potential of what you could be? Because that's actually pretty freaking terrifying. <laughs> it's actually easier to stay small and hidden than it is to be big. <laughs> so part of me was like, yes, that's really terrifying. And then the other part was like, yeah, but what if it doesn't happen <laughs> as well? So then you stay in this stuck limbo. So I say that that's probably been a fear I've been grappling with and it feels less and less like each time I do something brave and courageous and stand up there and do it and go it doesn't matter where it lands I'm just I'm doing what I feel I need to that it feels easier and easier but I would say that that probably still sits there that fear of being really big and being seen in the world is probably the part that still maybe niggles a little bit that I need to 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 lean into I feel like my life has shown me or given me beautiful experiences of life and death. You know, I worked in birth for a long time. I worked with mums whose babies died. I spent a lot of time around death as a support person and found the absolute beauty and sacredness in that. So I don't fear death or that happening. I, I feel like I sit in a place of of trusting that wherever we're meant to be, we're meant to be and that's going to happen. So it's, you know, because I know that's a huge fear for a lot of people that doesn't feel so big for me. It's probably just the the stepping into the bigness because when you step into the bigness and more people see you and more people can judge and, and, you know, then the old, old, old imprint that we've been working on (laughs) still pops up. So that's probably, that's a good question. I'll have to. There's another quote that I love. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there's no path and leave a trail, which is Ralph Aldo Emerson. So for you, I look at what you've done and we've talked off air before the pod about where you're at in your life mm. and what you've achieved where does that mm. come from mm. I would say it comes from my mum too again she was a really courageous woman if she decided she wanted to do something even if it was halfway across the other side of the world she'd go do it like so that courage piece to go and do stuff that people hadn't done before I watched my mum do I feel like it's always been a massive part of me of that whenever something speaks to me deeply or I feel passionate about something I just have this like I've got to go do that like I've got to figure out a way to do it and 
I laugh about myself because I never take the conventional path. I never go, okay, well, I'll go to university and study and then do this. I go, nah, I want to jump into life. I want to learn as much as life can show me. I really am a massive believer in doing an apprenticeship. So I'm like, go learn from the people who've been there before and then make it your own. So I just have this, I don't, I don't know, I just have this wild part of me that just, yeah, I, I can swear on this podcast because I already have, yes. No, maybe not. Anyway, I just you have can. This. No, you can. I don't care. <laughs> I just have my this, audience. This, whatever that is. I don't no, care. no. I just have this, uh, this, 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 this saying that I use all the time, which is just fuck it, just do it, right? So with anything I've ever done, I, I started my first company when I was like twenty, and even though I had no idea what I was doing, I was like, I'll figure it out. And so I think there's been this big part of me that's always been like just learn by doing you will figure it out and if you can keep your eyes open you will learn by your mistakes so whenever something went wrong I'd be like all right well I know that not to do it that way next time and so I've never really been afraid of making mistakes and I've always been a ple- in a place of okay how do I do that always asking show me show me what that looks like and so my latest project which is building a school <laughs> which is just sometimes I sit there and go Leo what are you doing <laughs> Just I mean, to, to people listening, you're, you're not, your background's not in education. No, no. So, so where did that... Where did this come from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and no. you, you, this is another question which sort of feeds into this question, which is, yeah. why do you back yourself? You, you've kind of answered it, but you have... Yeah. So what, yeah. I mean, okay, because I could sit here and say to you, you know what? Yeah. I've got great ideas. Yeah. I think I've got something about me. Yeah. But I, I haven't backed myself. Yeah, yeah. And to hear you sit there and go, what you're saying is like... Wow, you're amazing that you just, yeah, you're you're not, and I don't get any sense of, you're not just saying it to me because you think it sounds like something that I want to hear. You mean it. I do mean it. Here's what I think. Who am I not to do it? I look at life and the things that inspire me the most and where I always cry and get moved by are by people who take risks, who were never qualified, who didn't know how to do it, but just went... Just every part of this energy is leaning towards doing it, so I'm going to give it a go. And they're the things that inspired me the most because I'm like, who, who are we to not give this a go, right? What's the worst thing can happen can fail? And even if it fails, you learn something, right? So, so here's an idea. Here's something that speaks to me. Here's, for me, it's always been about how can I make a difference to people or the world. So any business or anything I've done has always been around changing people's lives for the better, you know, and that's usually around connection, it's around, you know, emotional awareness, intelligence, all that kind of stuff. So it's always been around, I want to help life, hum- humans, all those kind of things. And why? Because I, I believe that the world is actually a really amazing place. And I believe that people forget that. And I believe that they don't believe in themselves. And I find that if I can remind people of how powerful they are, then that's going to be of service to the world. And because that's what I remind myself of. I'm like, you know, you can do anything. And I want to be able to hold that for others to say, what is it that lights you up? Or where is your pain? And how can I help and hold your pain so you can transform it into the truth of who you are? Because... The truth of who we all are is magnificent and amazing and wonderful and incredible. That's actually the truth. But we forget that and we don't, we don't understand that because we've been completely you know, indoctrinated by society and also through the stories and imprints that we took on board when we were kids. So often what I look at is that life seems to give me these, 
ideas or passions or stuff that really inspires me. And then all of a sudden, just the right people seem to turn up in my life to go, let's make something. So the school that we're building, and I'll just say before this, I have a massive belief system around being supported. So again, I think thanks to the family I grew up in, my default is that there is always support and there's heaps of people to support you. So I have had such an incredibly supported life and I think because energetically I just expect that to happen. (laughs) Not because you should help me, but just like I really am about the right people will turn up to help me do whatever I need to do. So the way this school came about is... Let me interrupt you. That's always been the case though? People have always come to you? Yeah. Haven't you ever questioned that and gone why? No, because I just... I think I'm naturally a leader. I knew this from when I was young. I even knew this when I was young, like I was four or five. I just remember feeling in my bones, I can help people move people. I remember just thinking that even when I was little. And I think I knew when I was young that I was a leader, that I can make stuff happen. And people would naturally be drawn to me and I'd go, well, if we want to make that happen, then this is what we need. And hey, do you want to be part of it? And you don't have to. And it was always an invitation but people would naturally flock towards that. And so I think that I just knew that when I was little. So with this school that we're building, it came about because, you know, my last probably 10 years have been working with parents around, you know, where parenting and dealing with their wounds and imprints and all that kind of stuff and lots of trauma-informed work. So that was really my work for the last 10 years. I'd had a client that I'd been working with for about two years and she had six children and, you know, each week she would come and we'd work through something's going on with one of her kids and, you know, beautiful, like just the, the shift that was happening in her family. And then one of her kids was starting prep and he was really unhappy and she just, she sat on my couch and she said to me, I just wish there was a school that embodied everything that we talk about in a way parenting imagine a school where there was connection and listening and all that kind of stuff there like what would that look like I said well I don't really know of a school that exists like that but it would be amazing to have one and she just said well what if we built one you know she's a woman that has access to money and and I kind of laughed and went I don't know anything about building a school and she said yeah but you know we could tap I have the resources to do it and you have the vision so what if we did that And, you know, I just sat there and laughed for probably a week or two going, yeah, whatever, I don't know how to build a school. And that wasn't even on my radar about wanting to build a school. And then, you know, she said, we could do this. Like, why not? And I said, all right, well, let's let's just do some research. Let's just go see what's out there. So we went and visited schools. I just was, you know, talking to random people, going, anyone know anything about building a school? (laughs) Like just waiting to see, I think, who would turn up again as a support to be the guides to see if this is what we're meant to do and right from the beginning when she planted the seed you know there was a part of me that woke up that went this would be the place that I wanted to send my kids like this was a place that I would want my kids to go to where they were emotionally held and seen where there was no punitive discipline where there was no marks on the board for being good or being bad where children were deeply respected and honored for their unique talents and who they were they were able to learn in a way that made sense to them they had they didn't have to ask to go to the toilet they could get a drink when they wanted to like all the ridiculous things that we often put in our mainstream systems these days that really deny kids their autonomy what if what if that existed so I actually just started dreaming a little bit to go well what would it look like if we build a school based on these philosophies You know, I I really do believe in the part of when you create something, the dreaming part, where you just have to daydream and think about what could it be. 
So I daydreamed a bit and we went and visited schools and I did research and I spoke to people and then it started to look like it could become something and I said to Mel, who's my partner in the school, all right, maybe we should give this a go. (laughs) And she's like, okay, well, let's figure it out. You know, I mean, I really admit, like, you know, there were quite a few days there where I was literally in the fetal position on the couch saying to my husband, I am so out of my depth here. I have got no idea what I'm doing. This is what, like, I cannot do this. And he would look at me and go, yes, you can. Come on, you know you're going <laughs> to. Like, he's been with me long enough to go, shut up, Lau, get over it, let's go. <laughs> and so I, I would have complete moments of just like, oh, this is too big, this is like, this is like building a town, like the governance and what, ta- like, this is epic, right? And I've built big stuff in the past, but nothing this massive. So I kind of put out a bit of prayer to the universe and went, if you want me to do this, then you've got to bring me the right people really quickly to help me do this because, you know, I, of course I can't do it on my own, but you've got to bring the right people. And then, of course, I have this meeting set up through someone else and I meet this woman at this random meeting who happened to build a school a few years ago and she's now a consultant and we just get talking in this meeting and we hit it off. And then that night she contacts me on LinkedIn and she's like, I'm really inspired by what you're doing. If you want support, I'm here. And I was like, oh, my God, you are my person. So I was like, thank you. And so here's this woman that had built a school a few years before who really got what we were talking about and she was like, all right, well, we will help you build it, right? So they became our consultants. And then, and then other people came into the mix, you know, and our vision of this school started to grow. We developed our own curriculum. We, you know, I have written nearly every policy for this school because that's what you have to do, right? And, and again, I'd never written a policy in my life, but I was like, how do I write a policy? <laughs> and so my consultants were like, okay, well, this is what it has to cover and this is what it looks like and give it a go. And so I would write them and then I'd send them to her and you know it was like I was back in year nine English going I've written an essay can you please correct it and she would come back and make all the corrections and it was such a massive learning curve it was hard like it was really it's building this school's been one of the most challenging things I've done because I felt way out of my depth I felt like half the time I don't feel like I'm smart enough to do this like what is this about but what I did know is that I had this vision for what this school is meant to be and that was never wavering at all like I might not know how to write a proper policy for anaphylaxis <laughs> or, or you know writing our policy on behavior management I was actually very good at that one but I'd hope so yeah yeah <laughs> that was okay if I didn't know that because other people did and they could help me but my vision of the school is never wavering I knew how I want the children to feel how I want the parents to feel how the teachers have to feel how the energy of the school has to feel like that has never that is easy for me and with Mel, you know, that's been part of our deal is that, okay, I am the vision holder of the school and and all of the people our team we've got together are going to make it come together. But this is what the school is about. It is based on connection and love. It is based on children's natural ability to want to learn and that not being squashed or hindered by society. And so, so basically we just started and then we put it out there on the internet and the response we had was unbelievable. I had people contacting me from all over the world going, can you bring the school here? And I'm like, we haven't even built it yet. <laughs> but people are like, the vision and what you're doing is what we want. It's what education needs. It's, it's what is missing. And I know there's other schools out there that are kind of similar or have bits and pieces. But, but Woodline, which is what it's called, Woodline Primary, is really the product of this vision of what would it look like if we, we put children's well-being first and then learning second 
because kids can't learn if they don't feel safe. So emotional safety has to be the foundation and everything comes from that. So, yeah, so then people came and and then we wanted to really open at the beginning of this year and our permits from council didn't come through in time and had a bit of a rocky patch last year where we're like, oh, I had to ring all the families and say, we can't open next year, it's going to have to be the year after and they were amazing. They were like, yep, we believe in it, we'll wait. You know, I was like, okay. And now I'm kind of thanking my lucky stars that we didn't open because COVID-19 happened and then that would have been just a nightmare. So I'm like, okay, universe, I'll never not doubt you again that, that it'll be, timing is perfect. So we're due to open in February next year and we have, and we've just assigned our new principal and we have families that are ready to come and our teachers we're just finishing off our last piece for governance for the uh, government for what we need to open a school those kind of things so it's an epic job and there's a reason why many people don't open schools it's because it's hard and it costs a lot of money and you've got to really want to do it you know people do ask me why are you doing this it's not like you're an educator and I go yeah yes I'm not an educator but I I feel like part of my work is speaking for the children is to really go, this is what kids wish that they could often say around what they need and want emotionally. And this school is, for me, a place where that all of that is safe and welcome. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm not just saying that to you, that clearly, mm. the way you said that to me. Mm. It comes from the heart. Mm. Why do you want to give children a voice? Because I see the impact of when kids don't have a voice. I work with parents and, I, and everybody has the same story. When we unpack the pain or what's happening in your life right now with your kids or any of it, it always comes back to the same place, which is that, that we didn't feel seen, we didn't feel heard, we weren't able to express who we really were. We had to cut a deal with ourselves in order to survive and have attachment and so we abandoned a part of ourselves and those wounds turn up as adults. So what would it be like if we raised families where kids didn't have to do that? And what would it be like if we had an education system who also saw that? Because it's one thing for families to be bringing this emotional awareness into their homes, which is brilliant. But like what I've discovered with my own kids, I'm then sending them out into a world that is all about shutting everything down. And sending my kids, you know, my kids have gone to mainstream school and the stuff they tell me that goes on and it's so jarring to them because they know this is not how it feels to be treated well. I love the fact that my kids get in trouble a lot because they, they call teachers out on really bad behaviour <laughs> and the teachers don't like it. But I'm like, good for you. I'll 100% support you when you feel like someone's not being treated well. And they do. And I think that's why it's needed because we can have it in our homes but our education system needs it. We need to have it transparent across the board. Because then that's how we're going to raise a future generation that is actually going to bring the heart to the centre of the conversation. <laughs> you can't see me, people who are listening to this, but I'm touching my heart because you, you're getting me there. Mm. And I just think, you know what, there's many times through the school, school journey where I have been, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, this feels really hard. You know, there's been plenty of times where I've felt the pressure of what we're building. Like we're having people move down to Geelong to come to the school. <laughs> And, you know, there's been times where I'm like, Jesus, people really believe in this. And I just go, well, this all lined up for me because it's meant to happen. I believe it's part of a much bigger picture. And again, who am I not to do it? It just takes one person to say, yes, I'll be brave enough. And as my consultant said, you have to have just the right amount of crazy to do something like this. And I go, I've got that. (laughs) I've got the right amount of crazy to go, yeah, 
we can do it. Let's see what happens. And we are. And it is. And it's happening. Yeah. It's amazing. It sounds amazing. Mm. Mm. And credit to you for doing that because, mm. Mm. as you've said, it takes a lot of courage. Mm. And you've got to go to a place that I'm sure many times, as you said, you didn't, mm. you questioned everything. Mm. And do you know what? You know what else fires me? I want my kids to be courageous. And, and they're not going to be courageous unless they see me do that. This actually makes me really teary. I, I did a TED Talk earlier this year, which, again, was just something that kind of came, landed on my lap, which was amazing. I know it was scary doing a TED Talk. There's all this pressure and, you know, you, you've got this moment to speak and you only get one time to do it and, you know, there's all this ridiculous pressure you put on yourself to get it right. It's just a talk, but, you know, it feels like it's got a bit of a bigger morphic feel to it. In the midst of writing my talk that I was going to do, I remember one time just feeling really wobbly and my kids, my three kids were around and I just owned them. I feel so shit scared here. I feel really scared. I've got to write this talk and it's got to be this and it's got to be that. And my kids all just sat around the table looking at me going, Mum, it doesn't matter what you say. Just stand on that stage. You've already won. And I'm like, oh, okay, my work is done. <laughs> I just kind of looked at them and thought, okay, they've heard me say this enough times now that they're mirroring that back to me. And probably one of the proudest moments was being on that stage, feeling scared and looking out in the audience and seeing my kids and them standing up and clapping and going, this gives them permission to be their fierce selves, to take a risk. Because they just said, it doesn't matter what happens. And, and I believe that. It doesn't matter what happens. It's just in the saying yes to doing it that you're already winning. I feel like part of this school or anything I do is also just to give my kids permission to go be brave and wild and crazy and... And you never know what could happen. If only more people were like you. Yeah, yeah. we've all got our roles that we play. So. Yes, <laughs> but it's a beautiful one. And you mm. should give yourself, I'm sure you do, hopefully you do, credit for that. Mm. Yeah, yes, I definitely do own my courage. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I think that's a good place to, mm. to end. Thank you. Thank you for, for having this conversation. It's been really, yeah, it's been powerful for me even to just really own my story or what I've done and just be, feel really proud of that because I think we don't do that much in our society to own wow thank you thank you for that opportunity absolute pleasure I think one thing I would say to you without picking up what you just said I feel inspired by you mm. you've inspired me mm. and that's um, incredible thank you so acknowledging that I think is as you said is, is mm. very important mm. thank you mm. you're very welcome thank you Thank you for listening to More Real. I truly hope you've enjoyed the experience and that you will continue to be here to explore real life with me. If you have, please tell anyone you know about More Real. If you've enjoyed listening and learned something, then I would be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review as this will help other people to find this podcast. I'm very grateful, as always, for your support.